Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm interviewing Jay Bear, who I consider a true superstar. He's an author of six best-selling business books and founder of five multi-million dollar companies. To say he's a CX and marketing expert is an understatement. And you're going to hear his advice to achieve real success. One of the ways is by hugging your haters. Yes, you heard correctly, hug your haters. What does that mean? How do you do it? He also explains how to make marketing and CX the elements of your company that customers love and talk about, not just tolerate. You're going to get so much value from this episode. I have one request. Please share this with your friends, subscribe to my show, and leave a review. It means a lot to me. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Jay Bear. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Stacey, fantastic to be here. Happy to do it, uh, at least adequately. I'll let you decide whether it's right. (laughs) It's definitely right. I already know the future. So I want to start with, clearly, I know who you are and the world probably does too, but let's just make extra sure. Tell a little bit about yourself professionally. What do you do? I am a seventh generation entrepreneur author of six best-selling books on marketing and customer experience, founder of five multi-million dollar companies. Uh, Presently, I'm the founder of Convince and Convert, which is a global consulting firm that helps many of the world's most iconic brands uh, master the convergence of marketing and CX. I'm in the Professional Speaking Hall of Fame and the Word of Mouth Marketing Hall of Fame. And I'm the host of a podcast called Social Pros, which is about enterprise social media marketing. And we are uh, fast approaching our 500th episode. So it's pretty exciting. Very impressive. Now, with all that you said, why? Why this passion around marketing, CX, and everything you're doing? I don't actually know why. (laughs) You know, I... I have always wanted to communicate and to teach. My parents were both teachers. Uh, and, and so that that need to sort of be a consultant and a speaker and an author and a podcaster and tell people what they could do better, I, I think is sort of at the molecular level for me a little bit. I, I didn't start in marketing. I started in politics. I was a political campaign consultant. I have a degree in political science and started off as a campaign consultant. And so my job was to get people elected to things. And then I realized, I don't really like that so much. Uh, I'm definitely glad I got out of that business now. But I realized, like, if I could get you elected, I could sell soap or software or cars or hotels or or whatever. And so I sort of went from politics to digital and from digital to sort of end-to-end marketing and from marketing to CX. And, and so it probably feels weird, but to me, it's been a natural progression over 30 years. Wow. So, and the reason why I asked you about your why is I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan and he's always talking about know your why. So yeah. I I like to ask that question. When you talk about politics, you answered my other question I was going to ask as a fun fact about you. And that is really interesting. I went to college, <laughs> I went to college in DC 
and spent a lot of time, learned about everything uh, in D.C., more than I learned in the classroom. And it's very interesting because at that time, I went to college for marketing, but learned a lot in, in being in D.C. And so you bring me back some memories. Yes, it, uh, it, it was much different, I think, then than it is now. Uh, it's a it's a tough, uh, always been a tough business, politics, and certainly uh, certainly tricky these days, for sure. Mm. One question before we get into some of the meat of your books that I admire. When you talk about politics and customer experience, what do you think is the synergy? Are they practicing CX? Absolutely. Especially around perceived customer experience, uh, perceived accountability. All all politicians have a constituent relations department at some level who who really are just a customer service department. In fact, I had to use one recently, fun story. I went to uh, Mexico on vacation um, this summer when we were sort of mid uh, pandemic and everything's like, yeah, it's all good. Uh, And went to Mexico and uh, three days before we left, my daughter realized that she had lost her passport. Awesome. And it's much harder to get passports replaced now because of the pandemic and offices are closed, like a whole thing. So we had to get a hold, a friend of a friend uh, got a hold of our United States senator uh, here in Indiana and had to get constituent relations involved, had to get the State Department involved. And like an emergency trip to Chicago, it was to the to the you know, embassy. It was like a whole thing. But, you know, they have my wife actually used to do this job back in the day. They have people on the front lines of every elected official whose job it is to help um, constituents, citizens in need. And, and so there's a lot of applicability from that perspective. And then the other mm-hmm. thing that's true about electoral politics, when you're trying to get somebody um, elected to something, it's all about figuring out what is the one issue, the one message, the one position that that particular voter cares about disproportionately. And it's much easier now with the amount of profile information that we have on voters. But but even back when I was doing it in sort of the pre-computer age, there there are ways to determine like this person is is more motivated by messages about crime. This person is more motivated about messages around education or the environment or the budget, et cetera. And then sort of thin slicing your messaging and targeting it that way, I think has a lot of applicability to, to customer experience and saying, look, it, you don't have to do everything right in the company. You just have to do the thing right that that person cares about. Yeah, you you answered my question. Definitely a lot of synergy, use of data to personalize the interactions. And we know that certainly in business. So speaking of business, now you wrote a book about Hug Your Haters. Love the title. What does that mean? So the idea about of Hug Your Haters is, is that your unhappy customers are actually your most important customers. But we almost invariably treat them as if they are our least important customers. See, the thing about it is uh, for every 100 dissatisfied customers, only five will complain. Five out of 100. The other 95 are just mad and they just stop giving you money. There, there's no, they don't put you on notice, right? They're, they're not raising their hand. They're not sending you an email. They're not 
putting you on blast and on Twitter, they just disappear. And that's actually what kills businesses. So this perception that that negativity or unhappy customers or or one star reviews or, or whatever descriptor you want to use of, of negativity, uh, that that's somehow your problem is definitely not the case. Um, so the people who actually take the time to say, you know, here's something you could do better they're actually doing your business an enormous favor because they don't have to do that. It's actually easier for them to just disappear and talk bad about you behind your back and stop giving you money than it is for them to say, time out, let me send a strongly worded email or whatever the circumstances might be. So it just needs to be a fundamental shift, right? That that kind of feedback is actually a gift, but it's often viewed instead as a burden. What do you advise people, whether they're in a small company, mid or large size department, how do you actually hug your haters? Mm -hmm. What do you do? So there's uh, several pieces to the system, but I think the one that's most important is to answer every customer in every channel, every time, every customer, every channel, every time. So I would suggest that everybody tuning in today, Stacey, including you, has had an experience in their life where they expressed some displeasure to a business. Yes. And it's probably also true that you have had an experience where you expressed displeasure and then you did not hear anything back. Mm -hmm. And that's probably not going to make you feel better about that business. Right. As as my uh, buddy and I'm sure a friend of the show, Shep Hyken, has said in the past, a customer you ignore is a customer you should be prepared to lose. And that's exactly right. And so I actually did a tremendous amount of research on this exact topic and did a, a massive national study and found that customers who complain who do not hear back, it's a 55 approximately percent drop in advocacy, sort of as measured by pre-post net promoter score. So there's a material impact in not responding to a problem. Conversely, there is a material increase in advocacy if you answer a customer who has a problem, even if, and this is important, even if you can't fix it, if you just say, sorry, we screwed up, or Yes, we screwed up. They don't even say sorry, but just they hear back from you. The, the, the very small step of just acknowledging that that customer did have a complaint has a material psychological impact on how that customer feels about the business. And, and you play that game out, that equals real money for the business, real money. And, and But people blow it off all the time. It's so common that companies will answer 10, 20, 30, 40% of their complaints and think they're doing a great job. I'll tell everyone, uh, I've worked in many different companies, I still do, and I say to everybody, silence is not an option. Pick up the phone, even if you don't know when the delivery is going to happen or supply chain is, you know, a back order, let the customer know you did not forget about them. It goes miles to what you were saying. Well, especially now because customer expectations have ratcheted up. Uh, the new research from Salesforce that just came out says that 72% of marketers, and this just was a month ago, say that they believe customer expectations have gone up since the pandemic. 
So this idea that somehow you're going to get a pandemic pass, that your customers are going to be like, well, look, I know maybe you're short of labor and, you know, there's a Chinese port blockade or some damn thing. Nobody cares. They don't care. They're like, where's my sweater? Right? Nobody cares. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt anymore. And 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 I think a lot of companies, frankly, and I'm sorry to say this, and it probably sounds really negative, but... I think a lot of companies hid operational flaws behind COVID. And it's like, look, yeah, our operations are totally messed up. Our customer experience is not good, but, you know, it's a pandemic. So what do you expect of us? And that mm. dog don't hunt anymore. Get it together, people. I, I agree. Now, we talked just now about hug your haters, but what about love your promoters? And what about your passives? I find that people focus so much on the unhappy and they're quick to respond, but they forget to thank their promoters and poor passives who haven't made a decision yet, and they do, <laughs> they're ignored. What's your view? Yeah. For sure on on your um, fans, I wrote a whole book about it um, called Talk Triggers, all about the power of word of mouth and that the best way to grow any business is for your customers to grow it for you. And that has been true since the first caveman sold an arrowhead to another caveman. And it's still true today um, that that word of mouth is also by far, even more so than CX and customer service, word of mouth is still um, the least appreciated concept in all of business, which is remarkable, but it is. The passives are tricky for this reason. I, I completely agree with the premise. In operations, though, the passives are hard because they don't give you any signal. And so much of our customer interactions now are digital. And I've been in digital literally since domain names were free. Uh, true story. I once sold the domain name Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch for 50 cases of beer. Uh, now, this was 1993. So the value of websites was not very much in 1993. But that actually happened. So now that everything is online or many things are online, it's harder to, to, to figure out what to do with the passives because they don't, because they're passive, right? You don't have a lot of data points in your uh, data lake to figure out, okay, this is what this person wants topically, or here's how we can um, kind of double down on their advocacy. So it's a challenge, uh, but this is going to get a little nerdy here. With the deprecation of third-party cookies and, and and our future inability to use big data aggregators like Facebook and Google, et cetera, as a way to learn more of our customers, we're going to have to do it ourselves, right? We're going to have to use first-party data to build customer profiles. That's the opportunity to learn more about the passives and activate them, right? It's to say, hey, we'd like to know, which do you prefer, red or orange, Orange, awesome store in database, right? So, so all of this is gonna, it's gonna take a little while, but it, it's actually going to force us to, to do more with this big kind of customer group in the middle. I'm excited about it. Yes. I, uh, I'm smiling here because you bring me back to the beginning of the, the web. And I was in a job, I was working at AT&T <laughs> selling dial up service. It was called WorldNet. It was sort of like AOL at the time and WorldNet. Oh, I know and it very well. You do? Okay. <laughs> it's It was like telling the very world, well. you've got to have this slow internet access. And then it's just funny to look back at, yes, experience was quite different then. 
I probably have a WorldNet CD around here somewhere in in this office uh, from 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 the old days for sure. Oh, that's great. Yes, we were partnering with United or Continental at the time and putting them in the sleeves of the magazine because there was no website, like, you know, much advertising. There wasn't Google <laughs> at the time. So it's fun to reminisce for sure. My question for you now is, well, two things. One, with promoters, I do find that mm-hmm. people take the promoters, the happy customers, somewhat for granted. And they neglect that the promoters also give you feedback and recommendations. Have you found that to be true where people actually miss that? Yeah, well, and I think that's why it's not just about activating promoters, although you should. It's about giving them assignments and 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 making them a customer community. That's the best thing you can do with them. Not just say, hey, why don't you all say some nice things about us on Instagram? Appreciate it. But but to actually say, hey, if you're that into the brand, why don't we pull you into a dedicated community only for this top 3% fans? Because what we really want to know is how we can get better. How can we improve our operations? And you know what, actually, Stacey, that also works for detractors. One of my favorite uh, CX stories is from La Pan Quotidienne, the chain of bakeries and, and cafes. And their former vice president of CX, Aaron Pepper, had this incredible program where when they would get one-star reviews and kind of negative feedback on Yelp or TripAdvisor or Google, what have you, she would respond to all of those unhappy guests publicly, as you should, and as I recommend in the Hug Your Haters book. But then she would private message them and would say, hey, Stacy." Terribly sorry about the experience you had in the restaurant. Uh, I did respond uh, publicly and and we're going to take your feedback to heart. But, you know, I've been thinking, you're a really perceptive customer. You you notice things that other customers just don't notice. You kind of have a gift for this. So what I'd like to do, with your permission, of course, I would like to send you two gift cards a month two $25 gift cards a month. And with each of those gift cards, I would be so delighted if you would visit a different La Quotidian location in your area. And then if you could click here and fill out this survey of your experiences, that would really help us because you really get it. You see things that other people simply don't see. She started doing that program, got 150 of these hypercritical, hyper like paying attention secret shopper types providing her all kinds of really nuanced feedback. And it was costing her 150 gift cards a month, which is unbelievable. It's so smart. It's doing sometimes the basics and being creative. It it doesn't have to be so sophisticated where people think like there's this, it has to be this big corporation with big budget to do these kind of insightful activities. Love that. Look, it's not, a, it's, not an, it's not an accident that as a whole, small business is better at CX than large business. It's not an accident. It's because they're closer to the customer. And, and once they get not close to the customer, they can easily call them or just email them or just ask them, right? They're not running it through a bunch of committees and, and processes. And, 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 you know, most of my clients are all enterprise clients. So I certainly am empathetic and understand the problem, but uh, it's not an accident, right? That, that if, if you stay close to the customer, 
your CX will typically be the beneficiary of that. So you touch upon a topic that hits my heart, which is about getting close to the customer and organizational design. What is your perspective? I've worked in many different companies and CX and marketing sit in all different areas. They're shuffled around. And if you were going to design an organization, what would it look like? Is there a CXO? Is there a CMO? Are they combined? Are they separate? What's your view? Well, I think it's almost settled as dogma now. The the new Salesforce Data Marketing Report, which is 8,200 global marketers. That's a big data set. 80% of them, 80% of them say that marketing runs CX in their company. That's huge. So I almost feel like whether we like it or not like it, I, I almost feel like the die is cast there. Now, I do feel it's a little weird for marketing to own CX based on how marketers typically think and how marketers are typically rewarded, which is for customer acquisition. If, if marketing is going to own CX, and that, that appears to be the track that the train is on, then we're going to have to fundamentally change how we report marketing, right? The KPIs that we use and how marketers, including CMOs, are rewarded and bonused. Because right now, the math of marketing and the math of CX are largely in opposition, not in alignment. And that's going to have to get fixed. What I think should happen, Stacey, but will never happen, is that CX should run marketing, not marketing running CX. But that's not going to happen, unfortunately. Well, I don't agree that it's never going to happen because look at McDonald's just hired their CXO and C- and marketing is into CX and you have Walmart yes. and I've seen a bunch of companies lately. So I think- Yeah, I'm not saying the, it can't happen. I'm just saying on the yeah. whole, I think it's unlikely. Yes, I, I think it. The, we don't know. I think the jury's still out. The trends are, you know, kind of, they might be leaning- one way. And again, I'm a marketer. I fell into CX more recent years. So I'm, I, you know, jury's out. And But I agree, no matter what, they have to blend. And the KPIs, the results and objectives need to blend. And the skill sets around journey mapping and the data and the voice of customer activities versus running social media campaigns and branding, that all has to come together in some way, no matter where they sit. Completely agree. I think it's actually really exciting, this idea of marketing and CX convergence. Uh, you know, the next three to five years is going to be amazing um, in that regard. It's We're going to look back at, say, I don't know, 2015 and say, like, how... How did we think that would work, right? With marketing and CX being totally separate and separate budgets and separate leaders and yeah. um, separate reports. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to look back and laugh at how stupid we were. I agree. And I'll, I'll say where I work now for a global company, we have brought marketing and CX into the same department. And I love it. I think it's very smart. Yep. 
So yes, the trend is happening. Back to now, not org structure, but employee experience and leadership. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to train your people to hug your haters, how do you actually lead? How do you drive that employee engagement? What are some of the tips you give to others? Well, first of all, CX always uh, is preceded by EX. You literally cannot be great at customer experience unless you are first great at employee experience. I did a huge research project on this once and actually looked at um, kind of customer experience indices versus best places to work indices. And the correlation of the two is staggering. So if your employees love to work there, the chances are that they're going to deliver a better experience to the customers. And that's because they love working there, right? So uh, we, we spend a lot of time, money, and effort on CX design, which is great. It benefits me. It benefits you. We don't spend enough money on EX design. We really don't. Uh, and, and we need to fix that, um, first of all, is, is make, your employing, uh, make, make your employment uh, circumstances really desirable. That's the first one. The second one is just making sure that when you talk about a hug your haters approach, that's almost never the peak efficiency, right? Answering every unhappy customer and spending time with unhappy customers to, to make sure they at least get back to neutral as opposed to raving mad, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe giving an unhappy customer something extra to, to placate them. That entire set of circumstances is at some level the enemy of efficiency. And, and so the company has to make a very real and meaningful decision, which is what are they willing to do to make a customer happy? And what are they not willing to do such that they're willing to write that customer off forever? And what I find, and you probably know this too, Stacey, I find that most organizations don't actually write that down. And so what it becomes is this whole collection of, of anecdotes and inconsistencies where one particular, one particular employee feels like they're empowered to do this. Then they get in trouble for management because they did this thing that wasn't part of the script, uh, or they gave away too much, or they actually said they're sorry and you're not supposed to apologize in public or what other craziness. And, and so it becomes very difficult for the customer. It's like when you have got kids and they say, well, mom said this and dad said that, right? That's not a good way to run a business. Um, so, so it's lack of consistency is a challenge. You got to work on that. It's lack of being a great place to work. Um, you got to be doing that. And then, and then not writing down really what is our sort of CX mission statement. Those are the three pieces you got to work on. I would add about empowering your people to be able to take care of the customer. And what I mean by that is I was in a restaurant and someone spilled something on my uh, jacket, my white jacket. And the waiter was empowered to take care of it. Didn't have to go to the back back office, back of the kitchen to get the manager. Yeah, knew exactly what to do gave me his phone number, said, please bring it to the dry cleaner and give me the bill. And also gave me some coupons to come back. And again, could have handled the situation in many different ways, but was empowered. So I think that has to be part of the equation, whether it's call center, whether it's the frontline salespeople, empower your people to take care of customers. Here's the irony of that, Stacey. 
a lot of businesses are afraid to empower uh, employees because like what if they make a what if they make the wrong decision like they're just going to be giving away dry cleaning all the time but whatever to me that's a symbol that you just don't trust your team but that being the case not having to go check with a manager and tying up that person's time actually saves the organization money so so this idea that empowering employees is inefficient the opposite is true when you don't empower the employees, every little thing takes three layers of management to investigate, and all of that is a cost to the organization. Um, that's the part that, that nobody ever calculates, right? They think, well, what's the cost of the employee giving something away? What they don't talk about is what's the cost of us sitting around figuring out what we should give away, if anything? Yes, we could probably go into many examples of this, but that's another show, another day. We're coming down to the last two questions. (laughs) So one is personal and one is more of a professional advice. And I ask this of everyone. So I love getting these views. So the first one is the professional. If I had a ton of leaders, all different business sizes, CEOs in my room, what's the one thing, the one takeaway you want them to know? And I'm fortunate that I do that you know, a hundred times a year. And I would typically say the same thing, which is retaining your current customers and turning them into volunteer marketers is a much more important course of action than getting new customers. Mm. Retention and word of mouth are far better opportunities than new customer acquisition. But yet, what do we actually spend time on? Sales and marketing, sales and marketing, sales and marketing. Yes, I love that. Now, the, the personal question, are you ready? Um, no, but that's okay. <laughs> so if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, mm. what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Jay? Probably to be patient. I've made a lot of decisions in my career um, because I was thinking six months out or at the moment. And then I realized ultimately, oh, if I just would have waited a little longer, there would have been a different uh, a different outcome. I remember quitting a job once that I actually liked because my boss got promoted. And the new person who replaced my boss was an idiot, like just a bad manager, a bad leader, not very smart. And I just didn't have any respect for that person. And so I quit the job as a result. And 30 days later, that person got fired. And I was like, hmm. And I wasn't much older than 20 when that happened. Uh, and, And I think, you know what? Now I would have said, look, this guy clearly is going to get fired. Uh, he does, you know, somebody's going to figure it out and then things will be fine. But I didn't, I didn't know enough then um, to, to make that kind of decision. Great advice. Great reminders for all of us. So now a bragging moment. People are definitely going to want to find you. I'll add this in the show notes. Where can they find your books? Learn more about you. Thanks so much. Uh, the book's available all the places and ways that books can be procured in the modern age. If you go to talktriggers.com, that's the most recent book. Lots of free information there, discussion guides, infographics, videos, talktriggers.com. Hug Your Hater is also available in all the different formats. Um, best place to reach me is on my website, jbear.com, B-A-E-R. 
And I've got a newsletter that I send out every two weeks called The Bear Facts, and it's marketing and CX stories, statistics you should know, tequila reviews, because that's my actual passion. Tequila review in every issue. Uh, we've got life hacks, all kinds of fun stuff. Just go to thebearfacts.com and subscribe. Excellent. Well, you are awesome, Jay, and I appreciate the gift of you on my show and to be continued. Thanks so much. It was a blast. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right. <laughs>